0: So I want to begin by just kind of saying, um, we're we're blessed to have Bibles to carry on and read, but are you aware that um, for the vast majority of history, most people didn't have a Bible, so the public reading of Scripture was very important to them, so don't get too exhausted when we... When we read a long passage, we're very blessed and I'm very thankful for that blessing that we have to be able to read um, our own Bibles. So occasionally during this particular series, we'll probably have some long segments to read. And um, if you really listen to them, I know it's hard because we're so visual and we like pictures and tick tock and the are just used to. But I, I would I would challenge you to reel that brain back in and see if you can't concentrate a little bit. It's an amazing story. This is an absolutely amazing story. I guess if I was to summarize this passage, you're trying to think, well, how do I relate this? Our, 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 our Exodus series is called Seeing Christ in Exodus. And so we're, we're looking for Jesus. Whenever we open our Bible up, we're looking for Jesus. And i like, what is that about Jesus? I know the big stories about Jesus and salvation and God's plan to um, honor the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always honored through all of Scripture. But one of the things we've learned, one of the clues of good Bible study is well, how do we see Jesus there? So I, wanna, I think I'm going to show you the clue first, and then we'll go back and look. You, you remember um, Psalm 23? Um, Psalm 23 is a clue The Lord is my shepherd. And that's a big clue. I shall not want. And He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This is a, this is a clue. It's what the, the Lord, my shepherd, will do. He's going to do this for me. He's my shepherd. And then it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, or you anoint the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. There's something about God presenting himself as a shepherd. And Moses, when we open this, this chapter up, Moses was a shepherd. And he was tending sheep, but he's not my shepherd. Moses couldn't do for me what Psalm 23 declares my shepherd can do for me. Like Moses was never a good enough shepherd. We need a better shepherd than Moses. Amen? And then we come over to John chapter 10 and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Ah. Jesus is the shepherd we need. He's the one that can carry us into the promised land. He can take us all the way. So really, I'm done. That was my sermon. I mean, that's the point. That's the point of... This passage where we're being introduced to Moses is like, hey, Moses like, all right, let's go. We've got a good leader. He's going to give us a good shot, see how far he gets us. And he can't carry us into the promised land. No no human being can. We need Jesus. That's the whole message of the Old Testament. We need Jesus. So we're going to be through Exodus going, we need Jesus. Who's going to lead us? Nothing ever, anyone ever tried in the Old Testament succeeded in the ultimate goal of God. And that was to get us safely into heaven where we can have fellowship and communion with God. So just so you know, um, that's that's the story. But I want to break this particular two chapters down into uh, four, four points. And the first one is, um, I'll, I'll repeat them as we go, but just so you'll know where we're going, encountering God at Mount Sinai, and then convincing Moses, convincing Israel, and convincing Pharaoh. And these two chapters are kind of like Um, God had to do some convincing because, and he had to do with you too. God has to do some convincing because we got our own way we want to go. And Lord's like, no, you need to go my way. And he had to convince Moses. He had to convince Israel. And he actually had to convince Pharaoh. But Pharaoh was not very uh, uh, interested so he kept having to up the ante. He had to be more convincing, more convincing. Now, Pharaoh, sadly enough, Pharaoh was never convinced to bow to Jesus Christ and bow to God and become a believer. But he was, he was brought to the point of bowing to God to do God's will, to carry out God's will. So he was, he was broken. It took a little bit of convincing for Moses to take up his assignment. It took some convincing for Israel to take, understand their role in what was happening. And... It's probably going to take a little convincing for you. So let's go back and let's start with the encounter of God at Sinai. And that's what we're going to look at at first. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. So basically Moses was working in the family business. And he went from royalty in Egypt to becoming a shepherd. And it felt, for someone who was brought up in royalty in Egypt, it probably felt very demeaning. It's like, very demeaning assignment. Can you imagine what it was like? He spent the first 40 of his years in Egypt being the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He grew up in royalty. Best education, best money, best resources. Ride right around in his chariot and, you know, had, probably had cool rims on there and stuff. I don't know what he would do this, but he had a really cool life. And then God took that away from him. He was going to be the self-savior. When he started to step in and say, I'll rescue Israel in his flesh, and he went and killed a soldier. It's like, I can do this for my people. And he was in all in the flesh. Have you ever tried to do something for God, but you were all in the flesh? Like your motive or the goal was good, but you weren't listening to God, and you run ahead of God. It's like, I got this, God. Good thing you turned this over to me. And then, boom, flat tire. Engine blows, everything, nothing works. Then you find yourself far from God. And that's where the next 40 years, um, Moses found himself far from God. He was out in the wilderness. And he, he couldn't have felt farther from the plan of God. The people of God and what God was doing, was all back in Egypt, back where Moses came from. He blew it. He is way over here in the wilderness in Midian, far from God, which is exactly where God had him for that next 40 years. It's mind-boggling when you think about 40s, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 40 yet, so I don't know about... About that, um, maybe. Um, so he's found himself in the wilderness, and there he begins. God has a whole other kind of education. His first segment of education was he had to learn about royalty, reading, writing, arithmetic, and the best education possible. So he got all the worldly education. He learned about pharaohs. Um, leadership management. I'm sure they taught him everything because he was being trained in such um, a very highly educated and affluent society. And now he's out in the wilderness and it's like, man, he spends the next 40 years learning how to be a shepherd. It felt very demeaning. Have you ever had things going well and you lost it and you're like in a bad place and you feel like, man, I'm I'm not in a good place right now. I'm I feel far from God in what I'm supposed to be doing. And do you know that God, if you love God, He has a purpose in this season. He has a purpose in the seasons of life. And, and the purpose was God was saying, Moses, I've got plans for you. And there was really, I think maybe three things Moses was probably focusing on in that wilderness time. And one was um, learning a vocation being a, the best shepherd he could be. He was being a shepherd. He joined in the family business. The other thing was learning to be a, a family man. And the other thing was, I think it was spiritual for him. So all the noise of Egypt, all the noise of the big city, everything was blocked out. And he was in a, a spiritual moment. It's interesting. I've always wondered why why was Moses' father-in-law the priest of, of Midian? It's like, well, what's the priest of Midian? We don't have a lot of information about What is the priest of Midian? Is he godly, godless? Is he um, polytheistic like everybody else around him? But later we learn, as we watch um, Jethro, his father-in-law, later we learn he seems to be, I don't know what it meant to be the priest of Midian. I have, have a lot of scripture, but we, I feel like somehow... Moses' readiness to be there when God speaks to him at Sinai, somehow I think the priest of Midian had something to do with it. So maybe it just shows that, you know, there was a guy named Job who was out somewhere and he was a deep lover of God. Maybe he was a guy like that. He wasn't necessarily right in the center of everything going on for the people of God, but he did have a genuine love for God like Job did. I kind of feel like that way a little bit about, um, about um, Raul or Jethro. I kind of feel like he he must have been a genuine man of God. Later in Exodus 18, Moses appeals to him for advice and he gives him very godly advice. So I kind of have a feeling that um, Jethro was a true believer and that he this called a priest priest of Midian might have meant he's a man that loves the things of God. And maybe he and his son-in-law had a really deep spiritual connection. So even though... Moses was away from the gods of Egypt and away from the center of the God of Israel, but he still had Israel on his mind and his people and God's plan because when Moses, when he meets God at the burning bush, he seems ready. He seems to understand these things. He, God talks about, I'm the God of Abraham and he talks about the covenant and Moses seems to be understanding. You got to go, what's that? Who's that? He seems to be totally tracking with what God is saying. So he finds himself on the west side of the wilderness of Midian, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And we're pretty confident that that's referring to Mount Sinai. Um, we could have some wonderful discussions about where is Mount Sinai. Um, I've been atop of one of the places, the most traditional one. Uh, Joni and I hiked up there on our, our trip several years back, and it was amazing But we don't know, we don't really know that that was the real Mount Sinai. Um, I kind of think that it isn't, um, but I don't need to tell you all the reasons. And if God wanted us to know more definitively, He'll show us where that location is. It's like a lot of people think they know where Noah's Ark is. I don't know exactly which mountain was the mountain of God, but I know the mountain of God is there. I believe every bit of it. I just don't know that they've uncovered enough that anyone's ready to definitively say that is Mount Sinai. I just know Mount Sinai's there. We just might have named five places Mount Sinai. God knows which one. And for whatever reason, God hasn't felt it was important enough for us to know exactly that, to give us that information. It's like, don't waste your, if I want you to know where it is, boom, I'll pop something up. Somebody will dig something up in the dirt. And then you'll, for whatever reason, the Lord's like, nah, some locations we know definitively in the Bible. There's no question because we, we just have enough evidence. So I don't want you to get hung up on that, but it's really cool. There are some really cool documentaries on that, some really cool information. And it challenges you to read the Bible more carefully and you start thinking, well, how much information is in the Bible that would help me? Well, one thing is it says it was in Midian, and the west side of the wilderness. It doesn't say which wilderness, but it makes it sound like the, the west side of the wilderness of Midian. So anyway, wherever it was, he comes to what the scriptures call, Moses wrote down as the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. And the angel of the Lord, uh, probably we believe, um, there's two ways to look at that. The word angel means messenger. Someone come from God. But there's also references to the angel of the Lord. I guess we could say, that, though the, the Hebrew doesn't do this and the translations don't do this, but we could say big A, little a. And sometimes the messenger of the Lord, big A, angel of the Lord, would be a, um, a theophany, uh, an appearance of God. And so this seems that to be because um, when God speaks and the angel of God comes and that burning bush is burning, and he says, take off your sandals. By the way, I was cool that you guys both had sandals on. I noticed that. Did y'all read the passage and go, let's wear sandals today? Or, That's a pretty normal Sunday for you guys, though. But it did. I, did, I don't think y'all caught that. I'm smarter than y'all are. <laughs> anyway, I'm the one preaching, so I knew what the topic was. I go, look at them wearing their sandals. They're rocking this reading. Okay. Anyway, um, he told them to take their sandals off because the ground in which they were standing was holy, and it was holy because someone was there. So it seems to me that this is a theophany, a a presence of God. And a lot of times when we think there's a theophany, it's also a Christophany, a presence of Christ. So it seems to me that this could well be a visitation of Jesus. And that's God whom Moses is speaking to. It seems right to me and Moses fell down on his face and and worship God I will turn aside he sees this flaming fire burning that um, doesn't burn up and I don't that would catch my attention I just fire catches my attention several times the last week you know everybody's like oh cookout's burning well no it's the building next to cookout and it's a controlled burn and then four days later, oh, cookout's burning. And then it's the house behind that house. Or no, it's a house behind the ford place. And they're burning another house. It's like everybody's freaking out. It's like such burning. But guess what? It burned like normal fires burn. It burned up. But Moses turns and sees a bush. It's not, you know, it doesn't take that long to burn a bush. But this bush doesn't burn out. It's like Moses recognizes this, this is God. And he's drawn toward what he recognizes to be something supernatural. He's drawn toward. And so I just want to ask you a question. Are you drawn to the things of God? When God is working and moving, it might not be a burning bush, but we recognize there are certain things that are of God. Do you find yourself being drawn to the things of God? Are you drawn to go where God is moving and working? Is that in you? Is that like, man, this me? Moses was drawn to this, and I think... That's part of why God chose Moses. And you could also see God working in Moses, that when God acted, Moses was already ready. Are you ready? If God did a great thing to hear today, would you respond? Would you like me? I'm ready. I'm looking for you, God. I'm searching. I'm seeking. When God speaks in his word, are you you ready? When people are praying, are you ready? When something's happening that's important and God's hand is in it, are you ready? Do you even realize that God is active? And he's working every day. And if you feel very distant from God, it's not because he's inactive. It's because you're inactive. And it's like, wow, God, I want to be. Could, could that be maybe someone's prayer today? It's like, Lord, I want back in. I, I want back in. And wouldn't that be a cool thing if you're like, you're here. It's like, Lord, I'm back in. I'm back in. I want to I hear you more clearly. It's like, I'm hungry for you. I want to I know your plan. I want to walk with you. I want to know my assignment, my mission. It doesn't matter. You could be 80 like Moses, or you could be 12. It doesn't matter. The idea is like, Lord, I'm in. I want to hear from you. I want to see great things. I want to acknowledge. Do you know God is doing great things for which he gets no credit at all? People do something. Go, the doctor says, look what I did. It's like, uh oh, God had his hand in it. Someone else says, look what I did. It's like, uh, oh, who gave you those legs to run? Something else happens. and go, oh, isn't that coincidence? No, it's not. It's all part of the great purpose and plan of God. And so suddenly people who don't see God anywhere have their eyes open and they begin to yearn for God and God is there, all of a sudden God's everywhere. It's like, wow, God was in that conversation. God went before me. Oh, strange thing that I met you and married you. Uh, All these different things start coming together and it's like, wow, God had his hand and was working. And you just have to have the heart that'll open the eyes. That's where it starts. It's like all of a sudden Moses was awake. He had been out there sleepy for 40 years. And he had been the first 40 confused and thinking his role was going to have to do with being a powerful man in Egypt. And he totally misread the will and plan of God when he was young. Just like some of us do. Just like some of you might be doing. And then he spent the next segment of his life searching for God and the will of God. Okay, so he has this encounter and he learned some things. The first thing is he, he took his sandals off and so I'd be okay if you wanted to do that today. If you wanted to go shoeless at church, I'd, be a, I'd want to know why you were doing it. It would be like, why are you doing that? I mean, I don't care if someone comes barefoot, but if someone is doing whatever God requires to get close to God, then praise God. If you come here and you want to get close to God, I would absolutely be thrilled to see some people visibly, manifestly doing whatever you feel like God is leading you to do. If you want to come up here and pray, you want to come up here, you can come stand beside me if you want to. It might be a little bit uh, odd, but I just want you to say, Lord, I'm hearing from you and I want to respond in the way that is befitting of you as the King of glory. I just want to respond in a way that lets other people know, like I'm moving towards God. And it, for some of you, if that includes a physical move, do it. Just do it. I think that would honor God. Always worried about what everybody else thinks. Just move towards God. Wouldn't you like to have that feeling here? Wouldn't you like to feel like you come to church and you say, I feel like people are moving towards God. I can even see it. You know, I've said this so many times. When Caleb and I went to that revival at Asbury, that's one thing I will say. You can say whatever you want. Have all your opinions you want to about it. But one thing I felt when I was there, people felt the freedom to move towards God. It could be right here in the corner. It could be huddled up over here praying. It could be moving toward the front. It could, be God. it could be singing and praising. It could be kneeling. It could be standing. It could be talking with someone. People meeting and crying and praying. But there was something about watching other people move towards God that made you want to move towards God. Would you like to move towards God? Yeah, me too. We need a move of God. And when God starts moving, His people start moving about. You can't just sit there like a log or a brick. I like bricks. It has a lot to do with my house still being there. But I don't like bricks at church. I like life, energy, molecules moving around. Turn the heat up and think it's moving. And that's kind of why we're asking. That's what we're praying for in our, t- our night of prayer. We're asking God to turn the temperature up. It's cold in here sometimes. Okay, spiritually cold. I want hot. I need hot. I need you to be hot so I can get hot. You need me to be hot so you can get hot. We can warm up, do something for God. Okay, and that's what happened when that bush started burning. Moses started shaking and moving and bowing. And then God says, hey, I've been listening all along. I've been here and there wasn't a day that I didn't hear the people crying out. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've heard heard your cries. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Jesus. I'm here. I got my plan. I said it 400 years ago, and now is the time. I will send you to Pharaoh. And Moses is like, no, please don't send me. So God, the next thing that starts happening, God had to convince Moses, and it wasn't easy because Moses is like, I, I don't speak real well. Um, I've been out here in the wilderness. I don't really know what's going on back there. Um, he got. He started listing objections. Um, send my brother, he's like, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be your guy. Like, Lord, I don't want the assignment you've chosen for me. You ever done that to God? Did God ever ask you to do something hard and you're like, going, I don't like hard things. Ever asked you to do something that costs you? It's like, no, I don't. all my money's for me, God. I'll give you, on a good day, I'll give you 10%. But let's don't push it. I don't want to ever give you 100%. We not only tithe our lives, we tithe our heart. It's like, God, I'll give you 10% of my heart. The rest of it's from me. Do my thing and my stuff. I'll give you a little 10, 10% Sunday service kind of thing. I'll do that. That's not too painful. As long as I can get out there with uh, committing to anything. Um, So the, the Lord God met and he says, I'll be with you. And the Lord, the, basically every objection Moses raised, God answered by saying, I'll be with you. Lord, I'm not good at talking. I gave you your mouth. I can give you what to come out of that mouth. I can use, in other words, every time we say, I'm not qualified, God, for this mission, God says, but I'm the one calling you. I will qualify you. If your heart's for me, and I am when God truly is calling you to do something and you say no, then what you're really doing is you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing calling someone like me. And God says, you don't know what you're doing not realizing who it is that's going to do the mission. You have totally uh, been blinded by Satan if you really think I'm counting on you to pull this off. What the truth is, is I'm willing to use even someone like you because I'm the one driving the boat. And then all of a sudden, Moses starts to figure out, and God says, he gives him, he says, I have a new name. Like, oh, well, he's like, well, Lord, what if they ask who's sending us and say, tell them I am is sending us. He's like, what? Tell them I am. Like, you are what? I am, period. I am. It's a, it's a word that went in every direction time-wise. I was, I am, and I will be. I am. I am the ever-present being. I am the one who's always present. I am. The, the word was, and God says, and that, I'm going to be known by that forever. So I think it's pretty, probably we ought to do a better job at remembering this name because God says, this is the one I'm going to use forever. So it's pronounced two ways depending on the way the, um, the Hebrew word is its consonants only and they put little vowel markings under it. So depending on how you put the vowel markings, it can literally, those four Hebrew uh, letters can be pronounced two ways. It could be pronounced Jehovah, and the same word, based on the way the um, vowel markings are placed, could also be um, Yahweh. Same one. And I, I kind of, I think it would be cool if we used those words more. You think that would be like we talked about Jehovah? You want know, to talk about Jehovah? I want to talk about Yahweh? We don't always have to say oh God. I mean, that, I mean, please. I, that's a good name too. I'm not. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But I mean. The God says, that's the name I'm going to be known by forever. So I think we ought to use it more. Pray to Jehovah. Praise Yahweh. And God's got a lot of names. I think we ought to use them more. Um, he thought them up because he, he liked them. They describe him. Okay, and so he says, Yahweh will be with you. You get down on yourself, friend. If you think you can't do what God's called you to do, just the real question is, are you going alone or are you going with Yahweh? If you're going with Yahweh, then you can do what he's asked you to do. Yahweh can do what he's asked you to do. He's the one that's going to make it. He's going to pull it off. He just wants to know, do you have enough faith in him to believe that he could use you? He really has a lot. You've turned this thing backwards. You're saying, you're reflecting on yourself, saying, I can't do this. And what what kind of revelation is that? Of course we know you can't do it. God's saying, faith is trusting that I can do this. And I can pick anyone I want to, and I picked you. Do you trust me? Will you believe in me? Isn't that, isn't that different? We're like going, we think we're being humble. It's, like, oh, no, Lord, I can't do it. And he's like, you're denying my power. I will go with you. Yahweh, I am. It's a beautiful lesson. Okay, and then, um, so he, he convinces Moses, and to do it, he gives him three signs. He gives him a stick to a snake to a stick. That's pretty clever. He takes a stick and it turns into a snake. He says, grab it by the tail, pick it up, and it's back into a stick. That's, yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Okay. And then he says, watch this one. Phew. Little Napoleon hand in here. Hand out, leprosy. Hand back in, hand out, healed. So he gives him a stick, a disease, and a cup of water from the Nile River that can turn to blood. And so Moses is like, "Whoa, that's good. If you can do that, I guess you could use me. And he's like, it convinces him. And then he goes eventually, and then he says, well, I'm not very good at speaking. And he says, don't worry. Aaron's actually on the way already. I already got that covered. I knew you were going to say that. It's like God like, I knew you were going to say that. I knew that objection was coming. Like God, when we throw our objections up to God, he's like, I knew you were going to say that. I know what you think. What a piddly little excuse. Do you know I've already got the answer? The uh, answer's already on the way. Isn't that encouraging to know when we're, we're sitting there pouting, whining, objecting, God says the answer's already on the way. You just, you just got to open your eyes. You know, if you had a GPS tracker on air and he's halfway, he's halfway here already. That would have been pretty cool. And God's answer is already halfway. The time we're asking it, his answer's already halfway coming. And that's God convincing us where we need to be to carry out his mission. So he had these signs. He had his brother coming. And then when he showed Aaron these same things, he met Aaron came out and met him at Mount Sinai. And so he shows him these same things. And then he has to convince Israel. And they go back to Israel. and he, Everything God said what happens? happen. Well, who sent you? I am sent us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he, he, he does what I'm calling covenant alignment. He aligns everything with the covenant he had made with Abraham. And that included um, making sure that they knew who sent him, the God of Abraham. It even includes in the next chapter, like why did they suddenly, when Moses agrees and he goes back and so um, Moses' wife says, give me that knife, we're going to have to circumcise these two boys. I have no idea how old they were, but that doesn't sound very exciting. But it's like he had to get their family in covenant alignment. They had to align with what God had said. Here's what my, I want my people to be. And so maybe that's what God's waiting on to use you. Maybe God's waiting on you to get into covenant alignment and alignment with God. It's like line up with God. Here's the thing I need you to do. Maybe it's like be baptized or um, start doing whatever, whatever, whatever it is. When God says align, align with my people. Identify, Align. And that's what circumcision was in the Old Testament. It was an alignment with the people of God. And it's like, well, we're kind of, we haven't really, we're not really in alignment. Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's the prayer I would say. Like, Lord, what do I need to do to get into alignment with you? And then he's then like, okay, now we're good. Okay, and then they get there and those same three miracles were effective for Moses, effective for Israel. They're like, okay, we'll go forward. And they were not effective for Pharaoh. They worked the same three signs for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, it did not work on him. And guess what God said? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to show Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh, who thinks himself a god, is going to bow to my will. And eventually it took 10 plagues. And it took the cost of his only son. Is that not a um, uh, prefigure? You, you catch that? Moses reluctantly gave his son, God willingly gave his. Moses reluctant uh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh, Pharaoh reluctantly gave his son, and Pharaoh lost his son with no gain. He lost his son and he lost. The people that he was trying to tower over, and Jesus, God gave His Son, and forever gained them as His precious possession. What a, what interesting contrast we see here? Okay, so I, I want to finish. I, I know I didn't go very deeply into chapter four, and I could have. I could just camp here out in the wilderness with Moses a long time. I could just sit by the burning bush and you know roast hot dogs or something, or marshmallows maybe. I don't thought uh, let me take that back. That's probably not a very good thing for me to say. Um, just, I, I, I think you understand. Well, I'm, I'm saying I don't mind being there, but I don't want to. If he said, um, take your sandals off because it's holy ground, we probably ought not to marsh, roast marshmallows there, okay? okay? But my point is delighting in what God was doing. If I go there, then, then uh, I think I stay on safer ground. Okay, and then... Um, we just see Moses being a shepherd, but remember, we know the whole story. He can never be the shepherd we need. So here's what I'm, here's what I want three conclusive things. And my question is this, are you interested in experiencing God? Are you, I kind of feeling you'd be here, I don't know why, if you're an adult, if you're a kid, you had no choice. But if you're an adult, I kind of figure you're here because you're seeking for God and you want to have an experience with God. So I'm going to give you three pieces of advice from this passage. Number one, take your sandals off. And that is do whatever you need to do to get in a position where you rightly revere Almighty God. Take your sandals off. Get yourself into posture that God is holy and you are willing to bow before the Holy King of the universe. That's our pride. Pride's going to say, I ain't taking my shoes off. Pride is, I will not humble myself. I will not bow. I am a dignified person. You need to kill your dignity. And learn to get on your face before the true and living God. It's the most wonderful place you could ever be. It's like, Lord God, I humble myself and acknowledge your grandeur and greatness. You need to take your sandals off and get you find yourself on the holy ground where you're ready to meet with God. That's number one. Number two, you need to deal with your objections. All those things you say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do it. And you need to deal with your objections by getting your eyes off yourself and onto God. As long as you look for yourself, you can make all the objections in the world, but when your eyes turn upon God, then you have the remedy that you need. God can do this in my life. And he will not call me on an assignment that he's not prepared to go with me. The question is, are you on God's errand or your errand right now? And when you just take your, all your objections away and just be do, truthfully. It's like, truth of the matter is, God, I'm not very bright. I'm not very strong. I'm not very eloquent. Or whatever you think are your objections or maybe your very clear weaknesses that you have. And say, Lord God, I don't have what it takes, but you do. And therefore, I want to hear you clearly and then I want to take the assignment you're giving me. And lastly, um, I would encourage you to start going forward in obedience. Don't wait for some special feeling. It's like if you get before God, look to Christ as the answer to your objections and then start acting on in faith and that's what Moses did he got up from that burning bush and he and Aaron started walking toward Egypt and he had a big assignment he had no idea yet how big it was going to be and so that's what you have to do you have to take your assignment from God and start walking it out in faith to God okay and so just so we remember who is the um who's the shepherd that you and I need anybody here wants to take would prefer Moses over Jesus Good. That's the first step that you're you're listening to my sermon. Okay. Um, anybody ex- looking for God this morning? Anybody wanting to experience with God? Praise God, man! Praise God. That's what we want. Anybody know the way? You got to get rid of yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. Okay. You understand? And if it's a good starting place is Jesus on the cross. Just see what He did. And the, it, you'll, there's two things that you ought to be convinced of when you look at the cross. And that's the horror of your sin that put Jesus there. And the love of God that kept Jesus there. Okay? You see those two things? Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mighty power. Thank you for your strength and might. And we thank you for this story in the Bible. God, it's, it's, um, it's really um, it's crazy when we think about it. All the things that you did. An 80-year-old man getting ready to lead the people of God in one of the most amazing adventures in the history of the world. All because he got on his face, he took his sandals off and got on his face before you and heard you and declared from that day forward, he knew you as Yahweh, I am. And we want to know you as I am, the ever-present God in our lives. I pray, God, for everyone that here that needs an encounter with You, an experience with You today, we pray for that. And God, we pray that You would give us as a church the desire and ability to draw close to You and respond to You in our hearts. And Lord God, may we respond to You right now this morning as we sing this final song. If you're here and you need to respond to Jesus as your Savior, then come to Him. Pray to Him where you are. Come forward. I'll talk to you. Someone will talk to you. And if you're here and you found yourself in the wilderness and you're coming back to God this morning, it's like, Lord God, I just want to be in your will. Or maybe you're in God's will and you just want to signify, Lord God, I just want to I want to approach you. I want to draw close to you. And if it helps you in any way to come forward as we sing and just say, Lord God, I just stand here to renew my desire to experience your power and your assignment in my life, then just move about if you need to. In Jesus' name, amen.